The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value, and so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and welcome to the show uh, this week. And we're going to be talking with Lisa Earl McLeod about selling with noble purpose. But before I do that, um, I want to say a big thank you to my guest last week, Niels Brabant. I can honestly say that the feedback from the interview with Niels on sustainable leadership was exceptional. Uh, one of my connections, who will be nameless, and you'll understand why in a minute, explained how they had to break a rule of a lifetime and take notes on their knees while driving. And they said if they were pulled over by the police, then it would have been entirely my fault. Uh, so thank you for that. But uh, I would really recommend uh, do listen to that show. And I assure you there's some really astute leadership ideas that really make you think. And I've done... Um, 196 of these shows now and there were some uh, thoughts in there which I'd not come across before and I thought wow you know that really is um, valuable wisdom for any leader who is uh, wishing to uh, sustainably develop and grow business now let's talk about today are you achieving exceptional sales results if not then it may well be that you're not selling with a noble sales purpose you might be an executive, a manager, or, uh, or you aspire uh, to be a sales or business leader today. And my guest is going to explain how organizations driven by a noble purpose have outperformed the market by over 350%. And what you need to do to get it right. Now, Lisa Earl McLeod's best-selling book, Selling with Noble Purpose, it, it has been a game changer to global firms like Flight Center, Google, Hootsuite, and Roche. But let let me tell you, it's going to be a game changer for my business too. Is it exactly the positioning that I want for our sales efforts? We do our work primarily because we care and we do it um, because we want to add value to other people. And when we get rewarded by uh, money, and thank goodness we do, then it keeps the cash flow and everything moving forward. But it's not the prime driver. It's helping. I'm actually so impressed with the book that we will use it as a blueprint. So no wonder Lisa is the sales leadership expert for Forbes.com. She's appeared on the NBC Nightly News, the Today Show, Opera.com, and Good Morning America. And now to add the icing on the cake, she's guesting on the Business Elevation Show. Uh, she's author of four best-selling books in four genres, uh, leadership, sales, personal development, and a collection of humor essays. So a huge welcome to Lisa Earl McLeod. Thanks. It's great to be with you. Thank you. And uh, wonderful to talk to you. Um, I believe you're in New York at the moment. Yes, I'm in New York, and it is a warm, sunny day, which is not often in New York. Fantastic. Well, it's great to have you in New York as well. I know you sent me a note to say you were, you were flying in, you're being in with sort of 90 minutes to, to spare, and being living in the UK and knowing how reliable airlines are over here uh, comp- uh, compared to the US, I, I'm pleased to, to know you're 
in your seat. Um, but I know no airlines are much better over there in the US. I'll make no comment on that. <laughs> British Airways. Okay, well done. <laughs> so I notice in looking at your book that you dedicated it to your father, Jay Earl, a man who made a difference at work and at home. What was life like growing up for you and what did you learn from your dad? Well, you know, people have different impressions of what work is supposed to be. And I came of age in a time when we were encouraged to have careers, especially as a woman. That was kind of a new thing back in the 60s and 70s. Little girls were actually asked, what do you want to be when you grow up, which previous generations hadn't been asked. And my father was a banking executive. And one of the things that I remember distinctly was as a young child going with him to what I thought of as his bank. He was, you know, a assistant manager at the time. Mm. But it wasn't one of those, you know, banks with the smoky glass that kind of looks like a fast food joint. It was an old school bank in Washington, D.C. with big marble floors and vaulted ceilings. And I remember thinking it was so impressive. It was, it was as if my dad was safeguarding all this money. And for me, work was always a really meaningful thing. And later in his career, my father was also a banking regulator working for the government. And he had a chart in his office that said how much money we've saved the American taxpayers because he did bank mergers when a bank was about to fail so the taxpayers wouldn't have to bail it out. And as a kid, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I thought, well, that's what work is. It's this really exciting thing where you save the taxpayers money or you safeguard people's money or you do something really important. And I didn't realize until I got much older that that was not how everyone regarded work, that everyone didn't think of their work as a way to make a difference. But then when I got even older, I realized they might not have thought about it that way, but mm. that's what they wanted. Mm. So, so that experience really... It triggered this idea, did it, for noble sales purpose? I didn't realize it at the time, but but it definitely did. And then when I was in college, I had a job working for my college newspaper selling advertising, and that was the first time I was actually in commission sales. And this sounds kind of cheesy, but you know, people talk about the moment when they picked up a paintbrush or sat down at the piano. For me, it was that first. <laughs> outside sales job. I was like, you go around to these people and you talk about something you believe in and then they pay you for it and that's a job? Oh my God. It was shocking to me. <laughs> that's, that's, that's great, isn't it, though, isn't it, to do, to do something that's, you know, this form of your passion and, you know, something that's, uh, you know, makes you feel, makes you feel like you're contributing rather than it just being a job. Well, and the thing is, it for most people, when we think about salespeople, that is not the stereotype that we have. The stereotype that we have of salespeople are these pushy, um, self-absorbed, manipulative, self-focused. But our research has shown us that while those people do exist, they're not the most successful salespeople. And it's really odd in sales because if you look at other professions, like you look at teachers, we know that there is a statistically significant portion of teachers who are really bad. We know there's a portion of, you know, um, medical professionals who aren't good. We know there's a proportion of ministers who aren't good. Just, you know, those are in any profession, you have people who aren't good. But, but sales is one of the few professions where we've let the people who are doing it badly define the profession. Yeah. 
yeah, it really has created that stereotype, hasn't it? I remember mm-hmm. running a course for oh, a number of years ago. It was for an insurance group, and it was a we called it we actually called it collaborative trading rather than sales because we wanted to put the underwriting just through the program as well as the uh, the BDMs. And there was about sixty or seventy people, and we actually had to change the name and not call it a sales program refer to it as a sales program because the underwriters had such a negative perception of sales. Oh, if you tell people, I'm going to teach you all how to sell, people have a fit. But if you tell people, I want to teach you the most compelling way to talk about something you believe in, oh, well, that's fine. And what our research has shown is that the salespeople who truly have a noble purpose, who believe passionately in what they do and are there to improve life for the customers, those people actually outsell. They produce more revenue than the people who are just in it to hit their quota. And it was research across a lot of different industries. I think it's interesting that in in, in sales teams, and I'm, I'm I'm going back to to one when I just graduated. It was um, it was ranked Xerox actually. There was just there was just a handful of people who just maybe three or four who completely outperformed multiple times the, the, the rest. And uh, you, you noticed about those people, there were some qualities about them that some of the others didn't seem to possess. And it, and it was that passion and, uh, and belief. And that, you know, they weren't uh, con artists. They were people who really believed in what they were doing. Well, one of the things that you can tell, so I've done a lot of assessments on this in organizations, and consistently the top performers are those that, that have a, strong belief in what they're doing. And and this isn't just people who are selling for some mission-based company. I mean, we have one of our clients is in the concrete business, but the top performers are the people who believe that their concrete solution is literally stronger than the competition. But the, there's a couple of tells that will reveal whether someone is really dialed into their customers or not. And if I take a sales team, and I interview them, and I ask questions to see how much they know about their customers, I guarantee you I can pick out who the top performers are. Yeah. And it's the way they talk and what they know. So uh, a mid-level performer will say, well, this customer is this size. They do this much revenue with us. They Next year I hope to do this much with them. Here are the buyers. Here's the competition. A top performer will give you a completely different perspective. They'll say, oh, this customer is in this business. Their goals for their business are this. The key people that are in charge of this company are these people. They will describe it from the customer's point of view, and a mid-level performer will describe it from the, the seller's point of view. Yeah, yeah. Why, why is, um, is the word sales and noble ready written together? <laughs> Well, for a lot of the reasons I described, because the it, it's odd, because the most obnoxious people are the ones that are perceived as doing, air quote, sales. But it's interesting, if you look at the top performers, the people that are truly dialed into their customers, oftentimes their customers will say, well, you know, he's he or she's not really a salesperson. They're more like a consultant that comes in and help me, mm. helps well, guess what? They're the top salesperson in their company. And so one of the things that I wanted to do with the book was to show people how having this noble purpose will help you outperform your competition and also 
elevate the profession of sales because if you think about it, you know, a lot of different disciplines within a company are critical. Product development is critical, operations is critical, and everyone in a company could make the case that without our role, you couldn't do this. And sales is no different. A company wouldn't exist if they didn't sell anything. And sales provides a really important, not just in driving revenue, but a really important aspect to a company because the salespeople are the ones who are front and center with the customers. And so they've got a level of customer intelligence that if you harness it, can actually inform all those other departments, operations, product innovation. Yeah. And so going back to that insurance example, I think the thing we we discovered is actually some of the warmest relationships in, in that business were actually between the underwriter and the customer because mm-hmm. they, they trusted them. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was... Uh, it, it was a non, seemed like a non-sales relationship, but actually had a huge impact on the end result. Well, I would say that it is the most effective sales relationship. Mm. That would be the way I would say that, because those people, because they trusted them, are in the the most valuable position to make recommendations, and I'm sure they earned the trust by not abusing it. Yes. Yes, but nobody had actually really saw them as being part of the sales process before that, mm-hmm. which is quite interesting. Um, and then they had lots of intelligence to give. What, what, could you give me an example of a, no, a noble sales purpose and you know, how they kind of work? Well, it's really important that you declare your noble sales purpose. So if you look at most companies and you look at their mission statement, they are just so long and so benign. And they say things like, our company aspires to be a top provider of (laughs) end-to-end services in all the markets we serve, and we want to dominate, and we want to serve our customers and our communities and our employees and our shareholders and be nice people while we're doing it. So, like, nobody knows what the company actually stands for. (laughs) But a noble sales purpose is a declarative statement about the impact that you want to have on clients. And so you mentioned a few of our clients at the beginning, so I'll give you an example. One of our clients is a company called Flight Center. They're the world's largest travel agency. They operate out of Australia. They've got a number of different brands. In the U.S., their brand is Liberty Travel. And their noble sales purpose is we care about delivering amazing travel experiences. That's it. That's the whole thing. And so, but... Small as it is, it's powerful. And so when the CEO stands up and tells everybody, tells thousands of people, they have 80,000 employees, our noble sales purpose is we care about delivering amazing travel experiences. That means everybody here is going to be evaluated on how much they care. We're going to have criteria that says, here's how we demonstrate caring. And some of it's through behaviors and some of it's through policies. And the word deliver, we care about delivering. What does it mean to deliver? How can we deliver faster? How can we deliver better? What does amazing mean? They even talk about the brain science of amazing. What makes an experience amazing for a customer versus mediocre? And so within that short statement are packed really important things that they deliver on. So if you notice the conversation that I just had about this, when that's the conversation that managers have with their people, you create a differentiated experience. But if the conversations managers have with their people are, how can we sell 20,000 more? How can we get more customers through here? You might create assertive sales behavior, but you won't create 
that differentiated experience. And so the two things that a noble purpose does are it gives you a differentiated competitive advantage and it ignites emotional engagement. And those two things are linked and they both spring from having a noble purpose. I think I love about it as well is it's the, 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 we care about delivering amazing travel experiences. Actually it's just seven words and that's really memorable, isn't it? And for an employee, it's memorable. Uh, for customers, potentially, it's memorable too. But it also feels like what it, what that does is it potentially within an organisation and maybe you know it ripples outside too. Is it creates a feeling of a movement of uh, you know we're in this together. We're moving towards yep. something that's greater than ourselves, uh, um, and that's very compelling to be part of. Well, and that's, that's the point of emotional engagement. You know, we have a crisis now of epidemic proportions in the workplace of disengaged employees. 55% of people are disengaged. So if you think about that, that means half the people going to work are just phoning it in and going through the motions. And to your point, when you have something, and the words in that one are really important, and it sounds so simple when I say it. I mean, this was a week-long thing to come up with this because – so. Some of the questions that we got into was, the question was, do we want to have we deliver amazing travel experiences? Well, that's good, but we expect our people to care. Yeah. We're going to go to commercial break now, and after the break, we'll get a a sense of how we can maybe create our own sales purpose, and uh, we'll look at some of the key aspects of how you then start to um, utilize that um, for the benefit of um, your clients and ultimately the benefit of your business. We'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, we were talking uh, just before the break uh, about uh, noble sales purpose and how it works. And, and you mentioned, Lisa, that... 
Um, it took about a week to create uh, We Care About Delivering Amazing Travel Experiences. And I wonder, how do you go about creating a statement like that? Is there, is there a shortcut? Is there a way? A oh, there absolutely is. And it's in the book because I want people to be able to do this on their own. So a noble sales purpose springs from the answers to three questions. And this is why it takes a little while. And the three questions are, how do we make a difference to our clients, our customers, The second question is, how do we do it differently than our competition? And the third question is, on your best day, what do you love about your job? And I want to explain to you why these questions are so important. In most organizations, we use this sanitized business language for those three things. We say, what's your value proposition? What are your points of competitive differentiation? And how are we going to engage our people? And the result of using those sanitized business lingo statements is you end up with very sanitized business lingo answers. And so what's really important here is when we say, how do you make a difference? A lot of the consulting work we do with clients is around not just asking the senior leadership team, because that's who comes up with the noble purpose, but also asking clients. We do pre-interviews with clients. We do pre-interviews with top salespeople. And what we want to get is not just what's your value proposition, but what is the actual ripple effect you have on your clients, the impact that you have. And then on points of competitive differentiation, most companies make a mistake of doing like a side-by-side on features, which you see them all over the internet. But we want to capture more than that. We want to capture what's the experience of doing business with you and and how does that feel different? I'm using that word pretty intentional. And then the third piece is when people start talking about on your best day, what do you love about your job? You get more emotive answers. And so we ask those three questions and then out of that, we create the noble sales purpose. And so I'll give you some examples. Another one of our clients is in the business. They make these large air dryers that take the moisture out of the brakes on trains And they're a bunch of engineers. So it's hardly the sexiest business. But if moisture gets in the brakes on a train, it's a safety hazard and it's a problem. And so their noble sales purpose, NSP for short, is we make transportation safer, faster, and more reliable. And so everyone in their company needs to understand that their job is to make transportation safer, faster, and more reliable. And they need to understand how their particular role ties into that. Uh, Another example is a client that we work with is Roche, and theirs is very public. And it's about, we do now what patients need next. And so your NSP, your noble sales purpose, acts as your North Star for the organization. And the reason it takes a while to come up with it is because it's not like reaching through the air for some tagline. It has to be real based on the questions that we've asked And through the process of coming up with it, you end up with lots of examples of how you actually deliver on that. So once we've come up with it, we've got a whole backstory that we can tell to prove it, that that's what we do. Mm. So so we've created this noble sales purpose. Let's talk about how we best live up to it. Um, How do you best, for example, use it uh, to maybe overcome fear in sales calls, for example? So imagine you're in the car with your manager, you're a sales rep, and you're about to make a sales call. And let's say you're selling for the company that makes air dryers. 
So let's compare and contrast two scenarios. One scenario, your manager looks at you and says, Chris, I need you to close this deal. You are $10,000 behind this month, and you need to go in here and hammer this hard, and I need you to close it. You got it? You're going to have a big problem if you don't close this. So here you are thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God, I have to close it. I have to close it. What can I say? What can I do? So you're only thinking about yourself, and you're operating with your lizard brain, the worst part of your brain. So flip to another manager who's there in the car with you, and they say, Chris, we are here because our purpose is to help make transportation safer and faster and more reliable. So tell me, in this customer today, how can we make their transportation safer, faster, and more reliable? And then you're going to start coming up with ideas. And so the conversation you have with your manager informs the conversation you have with your customer. And so if your manager is only talking to you about your quota, and quotas are real. I mean, I'm an ex-Procter & Gamble person. We, you know, we put mm. numbers on the board in our business today. Mm. So mm. it's real. But if that's the only conversation the manager has with the salesperson, they haven't prepared them. But if the manager is saying, how are you going to make transportation safer, faster, more reliable, that salesperson starts operating with their frontal lobes, the smarter part of their brain, they start getting creative. And so it doesn't lessen their assertiveness, but they are assertive on behalf of improving the customer's condition rather than assertive on behalf of making their number. And customers can tell the difference. Yeah, you must have been, reading your book, you've been clearly been in thousands of sales calls, and I've spent many hours myself <laughs> sitting thousands. in Thousands, for real. Sorry? Literally thousands. Yeah. <laughs> and I've spent many hours myself sitting in, sitting in cars and, uh, and observing salespeople and giving them field, feedback. And I spent so many times I would ask a salesperson, you know, what, what's, what's your outcomes from this call? And they'd say, oh, 20,000 pounds. <laughs> no. <laughs> so that they're going in with a financial number in, in their mind uh, when they hadn't got a clue what the needs of the customer was going to be when they got in there. Well, and it's interesting. One of the things I always say, if you treat your customer like a number, they will return the favor. Mm. And when I talk to, a lot of times, a lot of my work is done for a CEO or a VP of sales. And when they start telling me, we're being commoditized, our margins are shrinking, we don't have competitive differentiation, I know that that is happening. Not because the customers are treating them as a commodity, but it started because they were treating the customers as a commodity. So if you hold up that big spreadsheet of customers and next to every one of them is just a number and your people don't have any understanding about who the real live human beings are and how you can help them, you will find yourself commoditized. And when you look at organizations that have done that to themselves, the margins shrink over time. It becomes a race to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some great examples in your book of that. You also mentioned that uh, sales teams can be sabotaged by their CRM system. What do you mean and how do you stop it? Well, this is an interesting thing because everybody needs a good CRM. But it's a matter of what information you are collecting, which determines what behavior you're going to drive. So picture two salespeople. They're sitting in the lobby they're both going to meet with the same buyer and their competitors. And they both open their iPad and salesperson one sees 
the pipeline forecast for the customer and what kind of revenue they've committed to and when they think they're going to close what. So they're, they, they're again, they're, all the information is internally focused. Salesperson number two opens her iPad and she sees something very different. She sees front and center, and it is a matter of ordering what the customer's goals are, what's their situation, what are the things this person is trying to accomplish within the scope of their job. If the CRM requires that that salesperson enter that information and it puts it up front and center, you actually change sales behavior. But as it stands, and I've worked with a lot of CRMs, this is not hard to do. I mean, I, you know, I can sit down with a guy and they can tell them what to do and they can get it done in an hour. It's a really easy customization. But what happens is most CRMs are focused on pipeline management and tracking deals and tracking opportunities, which is really important, but that's all internally focused. When you flip it and you make the focus true customer intelligence, which is information you've uncovered about the customer and management makes that information mandatory, then you've changed that salesperson's frame of reference because then they look at their phone or they look at their iPad and they go, oh, right, right, right. That guy's goals was this because I found it out in the last sales call. Yes, yes. How do you best keep that purpose alive so it's not just a tagline? Well, this is challenging that what happens is it becomes, it can easily become a marketing mantra. And so there's, a, there's really three things to focus on. The first is after we've created a purpose, we make sure we have the narrative behind it, the stories that indicate that we are living our purpose, and we make sure we keep those stories front and center every time. So at every single sales meeting, start with a story about how you made somebody's transportation safer, faster, more reliable, or how you, I've got an accounting firm that helps clients seize opportunity and reduce risk. Tell us which clients did you help seize opportunity this week? Mm. So one is narrative because you have to keep it alive through story. It can't keep, be kept alive through numbers. The numbers are a reflection of how well you're living your purpose. But then the second piece is systems and processes. So whenever we go through this, we come up with the purpose, but then we look at the systems and processes through the lens of the purpose. Are they supporting it or are they sabotaging it? And so that's one of the ways you keep it alive because most systems and processes will default to internally focused metrics or numbers. And you want your systems and processes, just like I described in the CRM, to be focused on customer impact. And then the third way is you have to be really clear on what good looks like in terms of behavior for your people. And there are a variety of ways to do that. And it doesn't have to descend into, you know, 25 bullet point job descriptions. But people need to understand, here is how we behave towards customers in this organization. So there's a really clear connection between the purpose and what it looks like in action. That's, a, I think, really, some really great points there, and that customer impacts and how you shift. I also love... Um, you know, the point there you make about stories and, and keeping alive. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna um, read a, a, a quote here by Lisa Lisa Earl McLeod. Uh, it says, "Stories shape the beliefs of the people who hear them. You never know what impact your stories will have on others. Good stories are like skipping a stone across a lake. It's fun to watch and fun to do, and you never know 
where the ripples will ultimately end up. Um, I love that, the way you've uh, articulated that. I, I put a box around it in the book and underlined it um, because those, those stories are very powerful. And one of the ones that I, I liked, there was a story in the book about, um, it might have been the, the rail company actually, with the, the sales guy who was slept in his car. Do you want to share he slept that? In his car, yeah. L- love that one. So this company, and it was the rail company, when I was asking them about examples of when they'd made a difference to customers, one of the things that one of the legends, dairy stories, was they had um, a guy who needed to check the brakes on a number of trains that were coming through this particular station. And if you wait until they call you and say the train's here, well, then it's too late because then you're at a hotel and then you got to come. So he said, um, he told the customer, just text me when it's five minutes out. So the customer texts him and it's like two in the morning and it's in the snow. This is a Virginia based company. It's like rural <laughs> Virginia in the snow. I mean, memories of Valley Forge. And they, the customer texted him and he's there in like two minutes. The customer's like, how did you get here so fast? He's like, I'm sleeping in my car right there waiting on you. And so I heard this story and, you know, this is a company of engineers. It's also a very blue collar business, kind of a rough and tumble business. And so what I said is this story that was known by just a few people, I said, everyone in the company needs to know this story, that we are the kind of company that cares so much about making things safe and reliable that our guys will sleep in their car if they have to. And it's really important because when you hear a story like that that says this is the kind of company we are, it's like when you're a child and your parents are telling you stories about their childhood or their grandparents. It says these are the kind of people we are and it starts to form your belief system. Do you know my father used to tell me a lot of stories about his own childhood and being kind of a nerdy kid with these rough and tumble cousins, but he would find really smart ways to, you know, outfox them. And he said that's what earls do. And so that formed my belief. Well I'm an Earl. This is how we do things. You know, we might not be as rough as anybody, but we're smarter. And then you start to act like that. And so that's why it's really important that when you have stories that really embody the soul of your company, that you tell them and they become part of your cultural DNA. And everyone knows, well, that, you know, that's who we are because it's not without accident that all the great religions of the world have a book of stories because those stories you learn as a child, be they from a teacher, a parent, or your religion, they tell you how to act in challenging circumstances. I imagine it would probably similar for you in, in P&G. I remember my, my first Mars uh, training course when I joined as a salesperson back in about 1990. And they, uh, you know, the first thing we told us was a story about how Forrest Mars came across the United Kingdom, spit up from his mm-hmm. dad, pedaled, uh, made confectionery in a little, little outlet in Slough and he pedaled it from, on a bike from store to store. Uh, and uh, you know that story of that initiate, initial situation was was famous. You know, even now, all these years later, I can still recall it because um, it tells you here's you're part of something that's bigger than you. Yeah, so human beings have two fundamental needs. Once we get beyond food and shelter, we want connection and we want meaning. We want to be part of something that matters and something that's bigger than ourselves. 
And that's why one of the important things when I work with senior leaders that we make sure is that everybody who works for them understands their backstory. And by a backstory, I mean, why are they there? So why are they the senior leader at M&M Mars instead of Procter & Gamble or instead of going in the you know, electronics business? Like, what about you brought you here? And what's important to you? Because the thing that happens is everyone is trying to guess what the leader's motives are and making assumptions. So you might as well just tell people on the front end. <laughs> it's like a lot easier for everybody. <laughs> well, we've just, just got a couple of minutes to commercial break now. Um, but I just wondered, are there, any, are there any other significant factors, just very briefly, that we must consider uh, to enable well, our salespeople to live up to it? I think the most important thing is don't wait. So don't wait until your CEO signs off. Don't wait until you get the head of your business unit. Whoever you are, answer those three questions. How do you make a difference? How do you do it differently in your competition? And what do you love about your job? Answer those three questions and craft your own purpose and start living by it. Even if you're running a small sales team, just start. Because I can tell you at Flight Center, they have embraced this with 80,000 people, and it started with five. Wow. It started with one manager who read the book who said, I think we should do this. And she did it with her team. And then people said, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then flash forward six months later, I get a call. Flash forward six months after that, and I'm standing in front of 10,000 people talking about noble sales. <laughs> <laughs> so just start. <laughs> <laughs> just, just start. And I, and I guess if you, if you do that, you – if you develop your develop your own, and um, as a as a salesperson, people will notice, won't they? They'll see the results. You will. You see. You will see the results if every time before you go into a call, you pause and you say, "I am here to because I care about delivering an amazing travel experience. I am here because I want to do now what this doctor's patients need next." It puts you in a totally different frame of reference, and people will pick it up immediately. Brilliant. Well. After the break, we're going to find out um, a bit more about how you how you kind of manage people um, when it comes to purpose and how how you should run uh, sales meetings effectively and uh, demonstrate these values to clients. So, really important information coming after the break. Do stay with us. We'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need, exactly when you need it, so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. 
Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with the awesome Lisa Earl McLeod. We're talking about selling with noble purpose. Um, let's look at sales management now, Lisa, and how managers should build true noble purpose believers. Um, how do you best behave uh, when you're running a, a sales meeting or a team to really enjoy, engender and make sure this lives on? So there's three things you can do really quickly. The first is name and claim your noble sales purpose. Not just, oh, we make a difference, but name it and claim it, articulate it. Then the second thing you can do is start important meetings with a story that provides the concrete substantiation. So the story that shows how you did this. Because see, in most meetings, the sales story is about how Chris the Awesome closed it. Chris got a big sale this week, and they take you through all the things Chris had to do to close the sale. But in the most effective organizations, they say, Chris got a big sale this week, and let us tell you the impact that's going to have on the customer. So one of our clients, and I have a new book out called Leading with Noble Purpose. Had to plug that. Uh, One of our clients is Hootsuite. And we taught every single person in the company how to tell a customer impact story, and they start their meetings with a two-minute story. So that's the second thing you can do is you can pull that front and center. And then the third thing you can do that's a super easy fix as a manager, especially a frontline sales manager, in every conversation that you have with your people, whenever you are discussing an opportunity, look a salesperson in the eye and ask them, how will this customer be different as a result of doing business with us? That is the game changer question. Because if your salesperson can't answer that well for you, they're not going to be able to answer it for the customer. It's a really powerful question, that one. One we should all use. Um, and often people really don't. I think that's one to want to log from this interview. Make sure you write that down and think about that before every customer communication. Should, should you build noble purpose into incentives? Absolutely. And so. Absolutely, you should build it into incentives and appraisals. And that's kind of a tier two thing. Because one of the things I like to do is I like to give people, when I work with consulting clients, a really easy way to start. So those first three, name it and claim it, bring those stories to the meeting, and ask that game-changing question. 
that is a way that you can start like literally tomorrow. And I should tell you, we have had several of our clients, if you look at our website, McLeod and more, you can see several of our clients have doubled revenue using these techniques. And once it starts to get a roll, that's when you can put it in your incentive plan and in your performance reviews. But you never want it to be punitive. You want it to be really exciting in the beginning. So that's why I say after you're in and you become a noble purpose company and you're six months in, then at that next sales meeting, you give the noble purpose award for the salesperson who went the extra mile. You can also do, we have a client, Farmidium, out of Chicago, and they did a great job of this. When they gave their awards for top sellers based on revenue, they, when they announced them, instead of saying, you know, this is Joe, he was 20000 over quota, they said, this is Joe. Let me tell you how many vials he sold and how many patients' lives he touched. And he gets a standing ovation because he touched 120,000 patient lives this year. And so sort of framing your awards in terms of customer impact, and they can be the same sales awards, that makes a huge difference. Yeah, rather than it being focused on just on the money. Yeah, Joe made a million dollars for our company. Because what happens is when you start giving out awards and you say Joe touched 120,000 lives, if I didn't win the award, I'm jealous, especially me because I'm like super competitive. But I'm not wishing Joe ill. Because in most cases, you say, Joe had 120,000, so-and-so had 10,000, whatever. And, and it becomes this, this thing where you are more interested in beating Joe. But when you say he touched 120,000 lives, then you are part of this bigger story. And you were part of that. So you work for a company that does that. And you want to win next year. But what it's clear is then you leave that sales meeting thinking, I'm going to touch more lives next year than Joe. I'm going to, I'm going to improve the more customers than Joe is instead of I'm going to be Joe and crush my number. And it's a very different sensibility. It's just as competitive and just as assertive, but it is in the service of the customer and that will actually propel an entire company. I I remember it's just taking me back to my, my first sales role many years ago. And the first, it was, it was placing vending machines into, 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 theme parks and schools and colleges and uh, workplace sites and all sorts of things. And I took over from a star salesperson who'd, uh, who'd done extremely well in terms of numbers, because that was the main thing, numbers of machines placed each month. Uh-huh. And then I spent, I spent um, probably about 20% of my time um, sorting out all the problems, removing them, because the ones that have been stuck in lifts, that have been placed in, in, uh, in locations that weren't selling confectionery. And tidying up, really. And I think it was the, there was the wrong measure used there. Well, and this is a really good point because revenue is a lagging indicator. Revenue is always a lagging indicator. The things that we tend to look in business are quantitative. Revenue, profit, uh, turnaround time, those are lagging indicators. Leading indicators tend to be more qualitative around how are our salespeople spending our time? What kinds of comments are we getting back from our customers? Because the revenue you produce today is based on the activities and equally important, the beliefs you had 18 months ago. So if you're just looking at revenue, you're already too late. So one of the things we do in our consulting practice is we help companies identify their leading indicators. And one of the things with Hootsuite that we did 
which is a, a, so, a software company out of Vancouver, one of the things we did with them, and this is okay to tell it because we had it in the book, is we identified some leading indicators that were how effective their people were at using a story in a competitive situation, how well their people had incorporated awesome. customer impact into sales presentations. Awesome. I think that's, yeah, the use, use of stories. And uh-huh. I, one, of my, I, one of my jobs for a few years was buying of marketing services for, um, it was for Mars and had a big biscuit company. And I looked at it across Europe and I'd sit in many hours of pitches and uh, I've, I've experienced many hours of people selling their wares. And, and it was, you know, those, those ones who managed to stand out by telling a good story um, and not the ones who had the standard PowerPoint Pitch presentations. Deck. Right. And in the yeah. year that we did that with them, they doubled their revenue. Mm. Yeah, big, uh, yeah, it can be, a, it can seem, can seem like a, a small thing, but actually it's a huge thing. Yeah, I mean, imagine an entire global sales force of people that all have in their brain 15 customer impact stories where they can, at the drop of a hat, talk about how they helped the state of New Jersey and Hurricane Sandy connect with people, and they change people's perception of their local government because they used Hootsuite software to reach out to people that had no power. They can tell a story about how a mall started using Hootsuite and was in a fading area, and they were able to directly connect with every single one of their customers. And so Hootsuite's noble purpose is we empower our customers to turn messages into meaningful relationships. And so every person in the entire company has these stories that they can tell, and they're so good at them, they can use them in competitive sales situations and say, let me tell you a little bit about what we do here. So instead of a customer doing a side-by-side on their software, a customer says, oh, that's what we want. Can you help us with that? Mm-hmm. I mean, are you surprised they doubled the revenue if, if every one of their people is coached up to do that? I guess a few addition of a few of those stories and proposals could be helpful too. That's exactly. And, and we also redid their proposal template and their presentation template so that you can't get anybody to sign off on it until you have the customer's business goals at the front of it instead of the dog and pony show. You have to have the customer's business goals and you have to have identified what example do you have of how you've helped another company achieve those business goals. It was transformative. Mm-hmm. I mean, amidst the uh, sea of software sellers, these guys stand out. Oh, they do stand out. Very well-known brand, isn't it? Hootsuite mm-hmm. now. Uh, as someone myself, I've spent many hours coaching and sales training, and I wonder what you, how you would recommend these are delivered. Because um, I know you, you have some interesting, um, real valid points about traditional sales training and, and how it needs to move on. Well, there's a lot of good sales call models out there, and I've been through just about all of them over the course of my career. And there's a couple of key questions you have to answer when you're doing your sales training. Is, And the first and biggest one is, what is the model in the service of? So if you've got a four-step, you know, open, probe, connect the dots, whatever your model is, it needs to be in the service of improving the customer's condition. Because if you're not explicit about that, everyone will assume that the model is in the service of the close, which sounds like what the person yeah. in charge of revenue would want. But customers can feel that. So it doesn't mean we don't close. 
We're very assertive about crafting a solution that helps the customers meet the objective. So that's one thing. Whatever model you use, it has to be in the service of the close. The other thing is to rethink the ordering of sales training. When most people start with basic new hire training, the first thing they start with is talking about their products and their company. I actually think that's a huge mistake. That should be the second thing you start with. The first thing on the very first day that you, could, that you should start with is let us tell you about some of our customers and who they are. Because then the new employee's brain is not trying to process all this product information. And you should do a deep dive in your customers. Here's how they make money. Here's the things that they're facing in their industries. We've got three different customer types or five different industries, whatever it is. Unpack that so that people can walk away knowing who your customers are. Then on the second day, that's when you do product training or the second week, however much time you have to devote to this. And so every time you show them your products and your services, they're positioned in line with, if you recall from yesterday when we talked about our customers, the three biggest challenges our industry faces are turnaround time, logistics. Now, here are these products we have to address this. Because you want your salespeople right from the beginning thinking customer first, product second. And that's the order you should train them. And then third, get to your sales call model. And that's the, the opposite order from the way most people do it. I love that. Uh, it makes absolute sense. You're absolutely right. It is the opposite way. But in all those examples at the beginning on the first day just give so many reference points, don't they, for the mm-hmm. for days two and three. That's a really great suggestion. Now, we've, we've, we've actually got to end the show now. We're only about um, uh, sort of a minute from the end. But I wonder if you've got a final message that you'd like to leave us with. So I do. You know, right now, 55% of people around the world wake up and don't like their job. That is a crime. That is a crime. You get one life. That's it. You don't get another one. You need to find some purpose in your job. You don't have to feed the poor. You don't have to sell a life-changing drug. As I said, we've got a company that sells concrete, but they know that they are literally holding up homes with this and they do a better job of it than anybody else. And so irrespective of your circumstances, look at how you make a difference to customers, find it and put it front and center. Lisa, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I think there's an enormous amount of wisdom in this, hugely valuable. Um, I've, uh, been writing down in my notebook as well, which uh, I always know when I write lots of notes in my notebook. It's been a great interview. Um, I'd recommend to people to buy uh, the book, uh, Sincerely um, Selling with Noble Purpose. Um, it, you won't regret uh, that purchase. And uh, thank you, Lisa, for joining us today. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Uh, and to find out more about the work of Lisa Earl McLeod, go to www.mcleodandmore.com. That's M-C-L-E-O-D and more. Uh, com. On next week's show, we have David Newman. David's a best-selling author of Do It Marketing, and he's going to be talking about how to effectively market yourself as a thought leader. I've actually pre-recorded that show, and it's a great one. There's some brilliant content in there, and I think you will um, enjoy that if you want to stand there out there. Um, a little bit like um, you know Lisa's able to do with, with her work and uh, really uh, become very effective at communicating what you do. So wish you all a wonderful week and I look forward to speaking to you all again soon. And if you've got any questions, if you've got any um, feedback as well, I'd love to hear it. Please email me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. 
and do tell your friends about this and social media if you like if you like it thank you bye We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.